You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. That's right. It's time for With the First Pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. This is Episode 6. I'm CBS Sports Draft Analyst Ryan Wilson, and I'm joined by our general manager, Rick Spielman, who has more than 30 years of NFL experience, including a decade as the Vikings general manager. Uh, Today's show, we're going to talk a little updated draft order. The first 18 teams are set. Those are the non-playoff teams. The Bears somehow found their way into the number one pick. We'll talk a little Black Monday news. Cliff Kingsbury was fired earlier today by the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, We'll get to our favorite segment, of course, Rick's Picks, talking a little Teddy B. Teddy Bridgewater drafted in the first round back in the 2014 draft, and we'll touch a little bit on the national title game. Won't go too far into that because that game's going to happen a short while from now. And remember, you can watch the show on the Pick 6 YouTube channel and get the audio version on your favorite podcast platform by searching with the first pick. We'd really appreciate it if you could like the video on YouTube, and as long as we're asking for stuff, How about you leave a comment or a five-star review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts? And by the way, if you have a draft question for me or Rick, drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and leave your question, and we'll get around to it on an upcoming mailbag episode. And, of course, we're also on Twitter, at Spielman underscore Rick, at Ryan Wilson CBS. And if you follow the show for updates and show clips, go to at WTFP Draft Pod, or if you're into TikTok, at NFL Draft CBS. All right, Rick, this is episode six. How are you hanging in there? <laughs> it's been good. I'm really enjoying it. And I think uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about, not only starting today, but as we keep building this podcast up, keep talking about these players. Uh, there's so much that are going to happen between now and the draft. And the first thing that we're going to have to go down there and really establish, Ryan, is guys that are going to rise down at the Senior Bowl because there's always a lot of money made down there. And I already have a list of guys (laughs) in my back pocket that I can't wait to see how they respond when they get down there at the Senior Bowl. And that's a good point. Last episode, we talked about just good football players, and we went through a list three each of guys that we think have a chance to improve their draft stock as we go through this process. Not necessarily be first-round picks, but guys that as you look around the league, you want on your football team. And uh, I've you know, I don't say this out loud very frequently, but I think the Senior Bowl is way more valuable for me than going to the Senior Bowl of the Super Bowl, excuse me, as a media member, because there's so much more you can get accomplished, both in terms of seeing the players, access to the players, access to folks in the league. And uh, it's beneficial when you're in the business of trying to evaluate people and, and you're not like, say, you, for example, who've been doing this for for most of their adult life and, and are, are slow to, to the game there. Um, but let's talk about the draft order, because as I mentioned, the first 18 teams are set. And I'll read them off quickly in case you're listening while you're driving down the street and, and you can't look at the YouTubes. Uh, the Bears, again, somehow found their way into the first round, into the first overall pick because of that improbable Texans come from behind win against the Colts. So the Bears are first. 
Texans are two, Cardinals are three, Colts are four, five, the Seahawks by virtue of the Russ Wilson trade from the Broncos, six of the Lions from the Matthew Stafford Rams trade, seven Raiders, eight Falcons, nine Panthers, 10 Eagles from that Saints trade last year, uh, last uh, draft season. Uh, and I'll stop there. You can check out the rest at cbsports.com uh, or wherever you find your, your draft order list. So let's start at the top, Rick. So the Bears have the number one overall pick. They they don't need a quarterback for the second conversation. Let's just entertain it. There have been uh, rumors floating about on the Twitter machine, which is you know always the truth if you see it on Twitter. Is there any way, shape, or form uh, that the Bears should think about a quarterback uh, drafting a quarterback, moving on from Justin Fields, trading him? Or if you're the Bears, tell me what you're doing as their general manager. Yeah, I, I absolutely cannot envision that. Uh, moving on from Justin Fields. He's still young. He's still in a developmental stage. The only reason why it may have come up is because there's a new head coach that was put in place last year, a new general manager that was put in place last year, a new offensive coordinator that was put in place last year. And I think as they evolved during the season, they figured out how to utilize Justin Fields' skill set. Not only can he throw the ball and he's improving as a passer, but he's not a guy that you just set up in a pocket and let him wing the ball all over the yard. He is a guy that you have to utilize his athletic skill set. You have to utilize his legs. And thus, that's what you saw most of the season with Justin Field. They have so many needs across <laughs> their roster, offensively, defensively, that if you have a quarterback in place and now – you have the number one overall pick. The first thing I'm doing as a general manager, and we talked about, right, is I'm trying to bail out that first pick overall as quickly as I can and accumulate as many draft picks uh, to help start rebuilding this roster. The other thing is that hurt them, even though they got the first overall pick, they would have had the first overall pick at the top of the second round. Uh, and traded that away to the Pittsburgh Steelers that are going to help the Steelers uh, for Chase Claypool. So as a general manager, when you're going through this draft Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the most important picks, especially on Friday and Saturday, is that first pick in the second round and that first pick in the fourth round because everybody just got done the, the Thursday night draft, got through the first round, but you get the best of the rest when you're in those two spots. And I think those spots become even more valuable because teams may be like, okay, we only need two more players um, that are going to help turn our franchise around. So let's do what we have to do, go up and get that top spot and get our guy that we covet. So that's what's fun about the draft and the fun what I – learned through the years and even learned working with you last year and, and, and Pete, although I don't like to give Pete any credit at all, <laughs> yeah, but I did learn something for Pete <laughs> <laughs> is that that pick to get that player first day on off, off that board uh, is just, I can't put enough emphasis on how important that pick is. Okay. Let me ask you this. So let's say you're sitting where the bears are currently sitting you have that first overall pick. What what are the actual mechanics if you're the general manager? Are you picking up the phone today? Are you going down to the senior bowl chit-chatting and the combine chit-chatting? How, how are you getting a feel for what other teams want to do? Yeah, no, it's way too early in the process right now. I mean, teams are still in the playoffs. You don't know what's going to happen. Most of these chats may start down at the senior bowl. For sure, they pick up some steam at the combine 
Mm -hmm. uh, but most of the teams there are trying to get the work done for the draft with all the combine participants. But a lot of that is what's happening at the combine. It's uh, I compare it to the uh, winter meetings at, in Major League Baseball is where you have all the 32 decision makers there. You have all the agents in town. Uh, you're not allowed to technically talk to people, uh, but you can start laying a foundation uh, on some draft picks uh, and that you're willing to move off of that first pick. So that'll start kind of the conversations, but every draft deal that I've done, and I've done a lot through my career, <laughs> usually happen on draft day. And 90% ah. of them, for the most time, happened when we were on a clock or we were just getting ready to get on the clock. That makes sense. And you sort of hinted at it last week when we talked about the Rick's Pick segment of Harrison Smith. You're not out there trying to broadcast what you want to do, especially later in the draft. Clearly, the top of the draft, it, it becomes clear as we get closer to the actual draft that if you if a team likes a quarterback, there are some indications that that, that that certainly may happen. But let's say the Bears either trade down or draft someone that's not a quarterback, which seems reasonable at number one. If you're the Texans, how concerned are you? Let's say the Texans love Bryce Young, and we don't know whether C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, or someone else. Let's say they love Bryce Young for the purposes of the conversation here. If you're the Texans GM, how concerned are you that the Bears may allow some other team to get your quarterback? And let's say you like C.J. Stroud or whoever your number two quarterback is. Not You don't love him quite as much as you, you think Bryce Young is your guy. Yeah, I think that'll be uh, all those discussions that uh, a lot of teams are having now. Uh, a lot of teams will have before they go down to the Combine. Um, uh, and it'll be how all these quarterbacks perform through this pre-draft process. I mean, you're going to get your psychological testing. You're going to get your medical scores. You're going to get your intelligence scores. They're going to be through hundreds and hundreds of interviews. Uh, you're going to get to know them and their ability uh, on how they're going to prepare to be an NFL quarterback. I mean, you hear the rumors out there, and I can't verify them or not, but Kyler Murray you know, they put in that contract addendum when they extended him about you have to put in X amount of hours in film in order to get this to achieve this. Um, but those are the th answers that you are trying to get before you get to, uh, to game day uh, on the NFL draft. So there'll be a lot of discussion going on. But personally, if I have both of them equal, I'd be happy with either one than just sit there because you know you're going to get one of the two. If I have one significantly above the other, I may even look at potentially trading with Chicago just to flop to make sure I secure my franchise quarterback or the guy I believe is going to lead our franchise for years to come. Would you give up, if you're the Texans, say a second-round pick to move up that one spot, or is that too rich? Well, it, they, you're talking about a quarterback, and you're talking about a franchise quarterback. So I, I would ask you this. If Trevor Lawrence... And yes, <laughs> Houston Texans, what would you give up to move up to make sure you right. secure Trevor Lawrence? So yeah, that's it depends a good on how about. strongly you feel about these guys. And if you feel right. strongly about one, then do what it's going to take to go get them. So th things get interesting because, and you mentioned this, we just did HQ and talking about the, the draft order. And unlike last year, where only Kenny Pickett went in the first round at number 20, there's going to be a run on quarterbacks. It feels like in the first 10 picks. So, Maybe the Bears trade out and allow a team to come up and get the get a quarterback there. The Texans are at, Texans are at two. The Colts are at four. You threw out the Seahawks as a, as a sleeper candidate at either five or 20 right now. They have a couple first-round picks. They could be in the market perhaps for someone behind Geno Smith. Uh, the Raiders at seven. And if you're watching on YouTube, Debo has the uh, draft order up there. 
the Panthers at nine, and then the, the Jets are down there at 13, the Commanders are at 16. But let me start at nine, Rick, because the Ugh. Panthers, as we sit here, would be the fourth team, potentially, maybe in the fifth, if the Seahawks draft a quarterback really early, in the QB race. And I would imagine David Tepper wants a quarterback, and he's tired of going the free agent route. Maybe he goes back to Derek Carr one more time uh, in terms of free agency. Baker Mayfield, obviously, and Sam Darnold were the other two. They traded for Sam. Uh, if you're the Panthers and your owner is very anxious about getting a quarterback, are you willing to overpay, I guess is the question, to get up to, say, three, for example, to make sure you land a C.J. Stroud or Will Levis or, or Bryce Young, if that's your guy? Yeah, I, I think Carolina is a unique situation. First of all, who's going to be the head coach? Who's right. going to be the offensive coordinator? So you have to get that resolved first. But knowing uh, the ownership and how aggressive Carolina has been, whether it's going to get Sam Darnold, whether it's going to get Baker Mayfield making all these trades, they do have a young, talented roster. I think you saw that with some of the guys on the defensive side of the ball. They picked up some draft capital when they traded uh, Christian McCaffrey away. Uh, they're able to run the ball. They got some good offensive, young offensive linemen. DJ Moore, I think, is a uh, very good receiver in this league. So their pieces are there, but it's all predicated on can you get this quarterback situation solved? Because if you keep going down the rabbit hole, they're going similar <laughs> to the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. Okay, you're never going to get this issue solved. So if – and I don't know the draft next year and what that quarterback class is going to look like. I know the kid from North Carolina, the kid from USC, yeah. uh, Williams and May, are going to be probably the two top guys. I don't know the depth behind that. But I don't have time to wait. And if I'm in love with whether it's Will Levis, whether it's C.J. Stroud, uh, whether it's uh, Bryce Young, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to go get that quarterback. Okay, and let's follow that up with this question because you've talked about this on previous episodes that typically three years, maybe four years for a first-round quarterback because it takes time to go into that role. And I've asked you this before, but now that the Jets are out of the playoffs, now that the Jets sit at number 13, if there's a quarterback there, and Zach Wilson feels like he may have taken his last snap. Uh, he didn't play down the stretch. He was the third quarterback, except when Mike White got injured towards the end there. And Joe Flacco started the final game. He didn't even throw that bone to, to Zach Wilson. If you're the Jets at 13 and there's a quarterback that you like there, are you, are you making that happen? Okay, here's what I'm going to ask you. With how supportive and maybe overly supportive the Jets have been, uh, Zach Wilson is going to be their guy of the future. It's only year two for him, so they think that he's still going to be the quarterback of the future, even though he hasn't shown any signs yet in these first two years that he's the guy. Um, is it a smokescreen knowing <laughs> that they're saying that Zach's the guy, that other teams are going to think, well, they're not going to take quarterback because they're speaking so highly of Zach Wilson <laughs> that we'll just sit here and then see which one of these quarterbacks fall to us. So that, I don't that, think the top three will go down that far. Right. Um, but they do have a very talented young roster. And mm -hmm. I thought Joe Douglas did a heck of a job. They have potential of actually winning uh, with Garrett Wilson, the offensive rookie of the year, and Sauce Gardner, the defensive rookie of the year. Right. So they, they have a very good defensive front. They got all the pieces in place. Um, you know, Brees Hall coming back. I know he's going to be come back off an ACL but you saw how good he was for that team. So the question is, is the quarterback the only missing piece? And when they're throwing out so much support for Zach Wilson, uh, is that a smokescreen? And is a smokescreen 
season already started. Right. And is upon us. And you would actually know better than me because I'm sure you've you put out your fair share of, of smoke screens. Never. <laughs> the thing with Zach Wilson, and maybe it is, that's right. Maybe they're trying to, to distract us. And not necessarily that the Patriots did it a few years ago, but the Patriots just set Pat. They didn't do anything. Mac Jones fell to them at 15 and they drafted him. When there was all that conversation at the time that maybe Mac Jones goes third overall after the 49ers tray up and they uh, ended up taking Trey Lance there, who it turns out, who knows what his future is now that Brock Purdy is is playing pretty well on a, on a stack football team. But it, I think, Here's what I'm thinking just on the outside looking in, Rick. If you're the Jets, and let's say you do decide to go with Zach Wilson, it feels like in that market with those pressures, if you start 0-3 and he throws six or seven interceptions in three games, that's it. Like, that, that's it. And then you've wasted the whole offseason to try to fix that problem. Because let me ask you this. Let's say you bring in uh, a real veteran backup, not, not a Derek Carr, but someone who can compete for the job, like a Teddy Bridgewater type. That means Zach's looking over his shoulder much more so than he probably was to Joe Flacco and Mike White. And then if he gets tight, struggles early, plays poorly, they're 0-3. I feel like that's could potentially cost people their jobs in terms yep. of coaches. And then the quarterback situation is actually in worse shape than it was as we sit here right now in January. Yeah, and that's the whole that's a whole uh, conversations that are going on right now. The number one thing you want to do right now is be upfront and honest with your coaches with your personnel department, when you're heading into these meetings, probably maybe getting a week off to catch your breath a little bit. But the following week, you have to evaluate your roster and what is it going to take to get us over the hump. Now, my question is, with the Jets, is it the quarterback? Because everybody was uh, buying Mike White jerseys until he came (laughs) back to reality uh, in the Seattle game, I believe. (laughs) Um, and then Joe Flacco, I mean, he's past his prime. So those are the things that you're discussing, uh, in your personnel meetings, as you get ready to go forward. And if they do decide to go a different direction at quarterback, because they have such a young, talented roster, um, what will they do? And that's the question that they're, they're going to have to answer through this whole off season process. I, I man, part of me feels like you just say, all right, let's get Derek Carr and, and go from there. But there's a reason Derek Carr got benched. And maybe the reasons aren't all great. And I, I'm sorry. Let me ask you this Is it yeah. all on the quarterback there? Uh, because Mike White didn't do very well. He had a flash, and he's always been a flash in a pan, but it's, he's not the full time answer. Like we talked about, Flacco being beyond Zach Wilson hasn't uh, really developed when they, laced, when they lost a lot of. I know they had injuries up front on the offensive line. I don't know they lost Brees Hall, um, but are they looking at the potential? Is it a coordinator issue or do they have the people on a coaching staff uh, to make sure that they can develop either Zach Wilson or develop a, uh, a young quarterback? And that comes into question a little bit because every team deals with injuries in the NFL, but the great coaches have a way a la Kyle Shanahan it's mm-hmm. almost like no matter who they throw in a quarterback, some, and they've got a very talented roster and they got a championship defense. I understand that. But no matter who they throw in a quarterback, I mean, Brock Purdy was Purdy was the uh, Mr. Irrelevant last year, and no one even gave him a chance. But when you look at him, what, he's 6-0, and 5-0 and as a starter. And I was looking at some stats, and besides – uh, Justin Herbert, he's the only rookie quarterback that has thrown multiple touchdowns in six great games. Uh, <laughs> Herbert did seven. So all of a sudden it's like, now to me, 
that tells you what type of coach Kyle Shanahan in is what and how they develop quarterbacks out there. That's now you great... got to go back and look and look internally. Not only is a quarterback, if he's just no good, he's just no good. You cut your losses and you move on. And I've made some of those mistakes and finally you just have to move on and, and live for another day. But you also have to analyze who is developing these young quarterbacks on your staff. That's a great point. And it, it brings me back to a point that I've been thinking about a lot lately is just how good Brian Dable has been for the Giants because his track record was as developing young quarterbacks. We saw that at Alabama. We saw that with Josh Allen. And he went to New York with the Giants. And he actually gave up play-calling duties, which is what he was known for. And you know this better than I do, Rick. Sometimes uh, coordinators get promoted for what they did as coordinators, but they're not equipped to be head coaches because it's a different job. It's a different skill set. And I give Brian Dable a lot of credit for getting the most out of the players he's coached both as a coordinator and obviously with the New York Giants. And the only other thing I would say, though, if you're sitting up watching the game in, in the suite as a general manager and you see the the young franchise quarterback get benched and then you see the team lifted by someone like a day three Mike White or an undrafted free agent like Chris Strebler, what kind of impression does that leave on you when the team plays? It feels like they play harder for one player as opposed to the guy that you had hoped would carry this team. Well, the thing with Zach Wilson to me is the maturity level and the leadership level because yeah. what he did when he didn't take responsibility after he played horrid, I can't remember what game it was, and he said that it's not the offense's fault. Uh, all of a sudden, that starts the <laughs> finger pointing in the locker room. And then if you're pointing at us, why don't you look at yourself in the mirror? So Zach Wilson, I mean, I saw what he, he, there's no question that he's athletic enough, that he has enough arm talent. It's two things. To me, it's the leadership. It's his ability to read and recognize things quicker because he really struggles, especially when teams pressure him and bring different blitz packages. You can't get away with the Rodeo Joe stuff that you did in college at BYU <laughs> running around and flipping the ball behind your back. Right. You can't get away with a pro day that everybody, and I was at that pro day, rolling to the ref, to his left, and throwing back to his right. And he had an unbelievable pro day. Sometimes it's not the physical ability, but it's the leadership qualities, and it's the mental ability as well. All right, so we, we've talked about the Jets. Their coach is intact, and I think Robert Sala has done a pretty good job, all things considered. You mentioned Joe Douglas and the job he's done. We've talked about the Texans, who now have a coaching vacancy because Lovey's been fired. They're at number two and number 12. And then at number three, the Arizona Cardinals, they moved on from Cliff Kingsbury on Monday. Steve Keim is no longer the general manager for health-related reasons, I believe, was what the, 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 the team said in, in a statement. And Kyler Murray has an ACL injury. Now... The, yeah. <laughs> the question's easy for me. The answer's hard for you. How, how do you fix this mess, number one? And number two, is this a job that a, a coach would be interested in? Well, I, I, I think they'll be interested in it because um, they do, they're do. they not missing many picks. I don't think they're missing any picks, Ryan, unless you can correct me on that. I don't look if they have their full slate of picks or not. Um, but the whole premise on who the next head coach is going to be is, okay, you have Kyler Murray. We just extended him, so he can't go anywhere. Um, what plan do you have in place to try to get the best and the most out of Kyler Murray? Because now they're, to me, their head coaching decision and their potential, if it's a defensive-sided uh, head coach, a defensive-side-of-the-ball head coach, then who's your offensive coordinator going to be? And how do we get the best out of Kyler Murray? And it seemed like 
Cliff Kingsbury got that early. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a lot of smart people on the defensive side of the ball in this league that they figured out that system. And they really haven't been the same after that. You know, they went down there and pretty much got embarrassed in that last playoff appearance that they had. Kyler Murray hasn't been the same. It's been just like run around and street ball, to be honest with you, when you look and watch tape on him. So what is the plan in place? This is our quarterback. What are you going to do to get the most out of him, and how do we move forward with this roster? Yep, they got their number three pick. They have two. They have the 35th pick, two third-round picks. One is a comp pick and two sixth-round picks, no seventh-round picks. So their their draft picks are intact. And you, you mentioned Kyler Murray, and, and you know we, we saw – everyone saw on television where he came off the field and, and was sort of mouthing off to Cliff Kingsbury. Maybe it's a big deal. Maybe it's not. But when you think about a head coach, and you mentioned perhaps the, the, the report of the clause in Kyler's contract about playing video games, um, when you're looking for a head coach – is I, it feels like it's less about whether he's an offensive or defensive-minded guy and more about can he make sure Kyler Murray respects him in a way that it didn't feel like, at least on the outside looking in, that Kyler respected Cliff Kingsbury by the time the thing's disintegrated. Is that a way to think about it, or are you just looking for the best football coach? Uh, no, you have to really, to me, it has to be the best fit for where we're at and what we need as a football team to improve. And there are coaches, and I've been in plenty of head coaching searches is that we had passed maybe on a head coach or two, and ultimately the ownership has the final decision on the head coach. But what's best for the Arizona Cardinals with the current roster they have, the environment in their locker room? Are they looking, number one, for a leader to come in to kind of corral those guys back in place? Because, again, we're looking from the outside in, and you're reading some things on the outside. Are they disciplined in practice? Do you need a more of a disciplinarian? Do you need more of someone that's going to get Kyler Murray to, to reach his full potential, especially with a contract? So you got to look at each individual job. And not every head coach, even though they may be successful somewhere else, uh, may not be as successful, let's say, if he went to Arizona. I try to equate this to if you're running a 3-4 or an odd front defense, okay, you're not going to take a 290-pound nose tackle that can get upfield in one, in one gap. You're going to want someone that fits the, key, the scheme and fits the system. So you're going to try to get a, a two-gap, big-bodied nose tackle Vince to Wilford. fit the scheme. So you want to make sure that you have to understand where your football team is and which coach is going to come in and fit the culture that we want to try to build. And where is our culture right now? So... Um... Let me ask you that, speaking of culture, at number four, the Indianapolis Colts. And their culture seems to have gone somewhere that is no longer currently in Indianapolis. It's It's been a weird season for them, no doubt about it. You mentioned earlier they keep trying to hit on these free agent quarterbacks, and, and they have less and less success. Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz, Phil Rivers had it did have some success. And uh, Jacoby Brissett, I believe, before that. And then, of course, Andrew Luck retired. Number one, is the Colts' job attractive? They have the the number four pick, and they have all their draft picks except for, I think, a seventh-rounder. Is that an attractive job, given that you know that the owner is a hands-on owner and that it feels like the cupboard's bare, but based on their recent history of relatively recent history of success? Or is that a job that you you might have some concerns about taking if you're a head coach? Well, I, I would look at it like this, because I think Chris Ballard is an excellent a talent evaluator, and I do think he's hit a lot of draft picks. Yeah. 
So I think the number one thing for the Indianapolis Colts, and they had the luxury of from Peyton Manning, they fell right into Andrew Luck. But since Andrew Luck, they really haven't had any, no pun intended, luck at the quarterback position, mm. except a, a uh, <laughs> you know, a stint with Phillip Rivers. But those they've always been trying to band-aid that position, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, this is the first time because they've been successful in the past. This is the first time they're picking in the top five. And there's three quarterbacks that are worthy um, uh, of potentially getting picked in the uh, top five. So I can't imagine knowing with the way the ownership has responded. Um, you know, when Carson Wentz struggled and they got beat by Jacksonville down in Jacksonville and kicked him out of the playoffs uh, two years ago then the owner was done. Okay, Carson Wentz never had a chance to come back. So I know the number one focus for the Indianapolis Colts is going to be to solidify that quarterback position because this is the first time in a long time they're going to be able to do that with a top five pick. Yeah, and it feels like just like the Carolina Panthers, they're they're done with the free agent route for quarterbacks. So it, it could be a, a race to the top in terms of the draft board to try to find these quarterbacks. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I got a question about Denver Broncos, Russ Wilson, and Sean Payton. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, Rick. So again, it's the crazy time, crazy talk part of the, the off season here. For 18 teams, and there was a report that Sean Payton, um, that the, the New Orleans Saints would want a first-round pick in order to part ways with Sean Payton, who's still under contract with New Orleans, even though he's now in the media working for Fox. As we sit here, and he's going to be a hot topic in, in the coming weeks and months. And Nathaniel Hackett was, was fired a few weeks ago in Denver after less than one year. Russell Wilson did not work out, and, and that's putting it politely, but he's not going anywhere because of his contract. He's 33, I think, years old. Um, they have the 20, 20 something pick as we sit here. I'll tell you exactly in a second, but if you were Denver who has a new ownership group, um, their GM, George Payton, I think worked for you for a while, right? 25 years. Yeah. So, you know him very well. They need a head coach. Is it, are you willing to come off more draft picks 
in addition to the ones you gave Russell Wilson, who struggled in order to get someone like Sean Payton in the hopes that you can fix all this in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months? Yeah, well, they're very talented on the defensive side of the ball. I think even yesterday you've seen glimpses of Russ cooking or <laughs> let it ride or whatever the heck you want to call it. Let's ride. He, 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 looked, he looked a little bit more like uh, Russ Wilson. But if you believe Sean Payton is the head coach that can take a Russell Wilson and maybe turn him into a Drew Brees on what he did with Drew Brees when Drew Brees came down to the New Orleans Saints, then you do everything you can to get that head Ooh, coach nice. because uh, whatever, I think they have Cleveland's pick because I think they got their first pick, first round pick from uh, Cleveland in the or Miami, I'm sorry, in the Chubb trade. Yep, that's right. So, um, but if I know I have the talent on my roster that they have, except and you just traded a gazillion draft picks and gave a quarterback a gazillion amount of money, you better get the head coach that's going to help give that quarterback the best chance to have success. So whatever that costs, if it's a first round pick, I would go ahead and do it if it's going to land me uh, the coach to to pair up with Russell Wilson. Interesting. All right. I, I like it. So uh, one last thing before we move on to this and, and we'll talk uh, some, some actually uh, some college draft related stuff here in a second, but uh, do you remember, and I think our, our buddy Jeremy St. Louis mentioned this on HQ when we were just on a bit ago. Do you remember the last time the bears had the first overall pick number one overall pick? No, I think Pete Prisco talked to something about 1938 when he was covering the league and who they took. And <laughs> yeah. I think it's another one in 1970. I can't remember. 1947. That was Pete's second toupee. 1947. Okay. <laughs> and it, it was uh, Bob Fenimore running back out of Oklahoma State. He only played one season. Like, I'm not on, up on draft history at all. And I'm not sure how good your history is back in the 30s and 40s. But I guess a lot of times back then, first overall picks didn't necessarily play football. Like, they, the guy who they drafted, they had the first overall pick in 41 as well. And he decided to to go back to school, I think. He wanted to be... Uh, no, he went to sell insurance. He was going to make more money selling insurance there you go. than he was playing in the NFL. What That's a, time... a Pete Prisco uh, <laughs> historic thing that I learned yesterday. Oh, there you go. Fun fact from Pete Prisco that doesn't involve uh, Pete yelling and screaming at us. So, yeah. 47 was the last time Bob Fenimore and that uh, unless something changes, they trade out of the pick. The Bears will have the first overall pick again in 2023. All right, let's talk about uh, some draft decisions that came down uh, the last few days or so. And, and I'll actually start with this one because you were surprised when, when you saw it here. Uh, Florida State edge rusher Jared Verse transferred from Albany, had a huge season, knee injury early in the year, but he was balling out before he came back got close to, to that form by the end of the season and he's coming back. So that along with Olaf Ashanu, the, the left tackle out of Penn state, those are two guys who were going to be first round picks going back to school. This is extremely rare. It's NIL related, I would imagine, but how surprised were you to see first decide to go back to Florida state? I, I, I was a little bit surprised by both of them, to be honest with you, because regardless of the NIL money, um, I don't know if it's the same type of money that they would have received if they did come out in the draft. Right. I think Verse has a chance because he's probably not rated up there in that top 10, even though I got an opportunity to see him play live uh, versus Miami. I watched the tape on him. I think this kid has tremendous upside. Coming from a small school, I believe Albany, mm -hmm. uh, coming in for the first time down to Florida State, making his mark down there and to come back for another year. Uh, as long as I have a pretty significant NIL deal, as long as I have an insurance policy, God forbid, in case I, I, I get hurt uh, or have a career-ending injury, 
uh, coming back and play next year. Both of these guys may not have been developed in the top 10, although I know, you know, your Penn State flash that you like at left tackle, you would have taken with the Chicago Bears at the number one overall. I would have thought about it. I would have thought about it. (laughs) I think it's Jonathan Ogden that last time we talked about him when you made your comparison. (laughs) The funny thing is, like, you and I talk uh, once a week or so about these prospects, and you were sort of – I, I thought that I didn't see anything, and I thought I wasn't seeing what everyone else was seeing in Fashani because you were playing, you were, you were playing it close to the best. You were impressed for someone, a grizzled veteran. I was. You were impressed with what you saw with the athleticism. But so they both are they're kind of both one year wonders. Now if right. they can put together back to back seasons, that will and like I said, knock on wood that and, and pray that they stay healthy going into next year and put the numbers up and put what they put on tape this year and put that on next year plus improvement, both of these guys are going to vault into the top 10. It's funny you mentioned that, and I'm glad you said what you said because that's the that's sort of the whole point, right? You you want to see players show improvement over the course of their career, and the guys that are physical specimens, you want to see them dominate more times than they don't, especially against lesser competition in college when in the NFL they're going to face guys that are at the top of their game. And that brings me to, to a few names. Brian Brzee out of Clemson. Uh, physical specimen plays on the inside at Clemson. Uh, his teammate Trenton Smith, who's the the off-ball linebacker, um, who again these guys are incredible athletes. And we've talked in recent episodes about Mozzie Smith out of out of Michigan, and even Keely Ringo out of Georgia. All guys who, if you built these guys in the factory, this is what you want an NFL football player to look like. But for different reasons. I don't think these players have lived up to the first round media expectations, and maybe the league feels differently. But if you're going into this process now as a general manager who's had everything else on his plate up to this point in the NFL season, and you're being sold one thing about this is the guy that we really need to focus on, but your eyes are telling you something different in terms of the tape, how do you reconcile the, the physical attributes with what, with what the tape is telling you, um, which may not be, they may not match up? Yeah, and we I, I don't know if we talked about this on a previous podcast, but Let's talk about uh, Breesy, Brian Breesy from yeah. Clemson. Okay. Tremendous size, 6'5, 300 plus pound, very good athlete. When you watch him on tape, he does not play up to those abilities every snap. I watched him against Georgia Tech, and there was not a better defensive tackle that I saw in the draft. Hmm. I watched him against Notre Dame when they went up there and looked totally the opposite. Uh, Played high, got knocked off the ball, didn't rush the passer. So, but when you're going through this interview process with these kids and you're going to put that tape on, and what we always did was, okay, we know what you can do good and show them a couple of plays there, but we really try to hone in on how they would respond when we put up their bad plays on the tape. And why are you playing like this? Uh, why didn't you run the ball? Why didn't you run to the sideline to chase the ball down? Why'd you stop halfway in your pursuit angle? Those are the things. Now, Breezy is a little different. I know he's coming off an ACL, I believe, from a year ago. He went through the tragic death of his sister, which I can't imagine trying to get through that. Still going out there and focus. So those are the things that you'll try to address. And I don't want to say that, uh, you know, that still you go out there and play, you play to the best of ability. But those are the things that you're trying to dig into on why they're not playing up to the ability they should be. And as I mentioned on some earlier podcasts, the guys that I missed on weren't that they weren't physically gifted enough to play in the league. 
it was, if you want to put uh, a, a big U next to their name, which means underachiever, mm-hmm. you got to really dig on why they underachieved that year, whether it was personal reason, whether it was an injury. Uh, what is the re- was it was it a one year wonder type guy? So um, why didn't you do it the other times through your career? And all of a sudden it's like your contract year coming out in the draft and then we see what you actually can do. <laughs> so if you get a contract, are you going to go back to what we've seen before your uh, contract year? So those are a lot of the uh, questions that you're going to answer during this interview process. And that's important to remember that I brought his name up before and I'll probably will throughout the process, but USC's Drake Jackson, I saw him play a few times on tape and, and I wasn't blown away given his physical measurements. And I had scout tell me, listen, he's going to go much higher than you think because coaches think they can not necessarily fix him, but get the most out of him. And sometimes, and you know, this better than I do, Rick players are making business decisions in college and they're thinking ahead for their future, especially before NIL. And I get that on some level. And Drake Jackson has had a pretty good season for the 49ers. Now he's in a system that, He's not relied upon to do everything, but that's not the point. The point is he went in the second round. He's playing like a second-round player, I, I feel like, in his first year, and the arrow is pointing up, as they say. So that, that's important to remember. But these are guys we're going to have questions about, the the Brian Brzees, the Mozzie Smiths, the Kaylee Ringos, the Trent Simpsons. Uh, and yeah, I, I would say three out of four. I wouldn't uh, – the Trent Simpsons, we'll talk about that because me and you see differently I know, it's on crazy. Trent Simpson. I know it's funny that because uh, typically we agree on everything. I tell people that we agree on everything, and, and that makes you look bad, makes me look good. <laughs> <laughs> so Trent Simpson will be a fun conversation to have in the future. But I mentioned Keely Ringo, and I want to get your thoughts on this. So we'll just talk briefly on this because the game's going to be over by the time you listen to this, probably, and, and you'll know the answer before we do. So Keely Ringo did not have a great game against Marvin Harrison Jr. last weekend against nope. Ohio State. And we've talked in the past how some of these cornerbacks, including your guy, my guy, Joy Porter, did quite well against Marvin Harrison during the middle of the season. What do you want to see from Keely Ringo against Quentin Johnston? And how can that help or hurt uh, how he's already viewed? Because he is not my cornerback one as we sit here. And I think a lot would have to change for for that to change. Yeah, no, you're going to see how he responds. The one thing that we really tried to hone in on was if a player does not play up to the expectation, and I think uh, if you look at Ringo's game against uh, uh, Harrison Jr., um, I don't know if that was the best game that you're going to watch him play on tape. Now he gets an opportunity on national TV on the biggest game in college football to go up against the probably, in my opinion, the best receiver coming out in this year's draft. Can you redeem yourself? Can you go show that you can go up and match up against the Quinton Johnston uh, and play better than you did the following week and uh, the previous week against Ohio State? So a lot of times that's how you're going to judge these guys. Uh, if they have a bad game, do they stay in the tank? How quickly does it take them to get out of the tank, to go back there and just say, screw it, I'm just going to go out there and play, especially at the corner position because if you're at a corner, you better have a really short memory because if you're you get you get beat on the deep ball, and all of a sudden you're in a tank for the next three or four series, and you're going to get continue to get picked on. That's going to be an issue. So it's how quickly can you forget? How quickly can you respond? And I'm anxious to see what Ringo does against uh, Johnston this uh, tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And when we can be next week, we'll have something else to to talk about because that's a huge a huge matchup for Ringo, a huge matchup for Johnston, and I'm sure it'll be fun to watch. All right, Rick, time for my favorite segment, Rick's Picks. This week, we're talking Teddy Bridgewater. And a little quick backstory here. 2014, 
The Vikings traded back up to 32 to get Teddy B at the back of the first round. And uh, I'm sure you'll tell us you wanted that fifth year option for a quarterback. And, and yes. that's, that certainly happens all the time. He was the third quarterback drafted after Jacksonville took Blake Bortles, number three, the Cleveland Browns took Johnny Manziel and number three, uh, number uh, 22, excuse me. And all it cost you, let me find the, there it is right there. Pick 40 and pick 108. So you went up eight spots to get inside the first round to get Teddy Bridgewater, and it only cost you basically the fourth round, the 108 pick. Those picks became Kyle Van Noy and Cassius Marsh. Van Noy's still playing. I don't believe Cassius is. And the only other thing worth mentioning right now, and I'll have some follow-ups, of course, is that the uh, the, the next quarterback draft, it was Derek Carr at 36, and then Jimmy G at 62. So take us through it, Rick. How did you decide that you needed to go up and get Teddy Bridgewater at number 32? Yeah, I, I loved Teddy Bridgewater when he came out, and I remember seeing him play live two or three times, and I thought when you're looking at these quarterbacks coming out, Teddy carried the Louisville Cardinals, and the reason they had so much success was because of the play of Teddy Bridgewater. And I remember, I believe it was a Rutgers game, and he was limping almost like a Brian Leftwich-type situation oh, yeah. where carry him down the he field. was playing hurt, getting him down the field. But there was no question when Teddy Bridgewater was in the game, his command of their offense, his command of that football team, uh, how it seemed and all the reports we got from our scouts, the type of leader he was and how everybody just gravitated to him in that locker room. So there was no question about that. And then our coaches got involved. um, And we really, really did have a, a high opinion on Teddy Bridgewater. And it confirmed when we went down to his pro day and it was the big story was that Teddy threw the ball, had a horrible pro day, didn't wear his gloves. He was trying to prove a point, but that night uh, I had talked to Teddy, I had talked to his agent. We had set up, or I used to have him, Hey, set up a dinner, bring whoever you want to bring to that dinner. And then uh, we'll take care of all the expenses. And I always was kind of curious to see, who they brought to dinner with them, whether it was a girlfriend, whether it was some of their boys, if you right. want to put it that way, uh, who they were bringing to dinner. And Teddy Bridgewater took us to a nice restaurant. It wasn't cost me $2,000 for, <laughs> for a deal. Um, but he brought his mother, Rose, and she had just battled cancer. And mm. when I was talking to Rose at the dinner, I go, geez, your son's going to be a very good football player. He's going to make a lot of money. I go, you know, I think she was a supervisor down in Miami-Dade school uh, with all the school buses. And she says, well, I'm not stopped working. Mm. I've got two more years, so I reach retirement. That tells me how Teddy Bridgewater was raised. Right. So we were disappointed in the pro day, to be honest with you. Then we took North Turner, Scott Turner, myself, called Teddy and said, listen, we want to have a private workout with you, get something set up. And then we'll come down and work you out and go from there. What you're looking for during that time is can they organize a workout on their own? Can they uh, have everything ready when you get down there? So we pull into the parking lot at the high school. Teddy already arranged uh, to have it cleared that we can work out at a high school. Uh, We get out of the car. Teddy comes out, uh, greets us. He does have his gloves on which we were very happy about (laughs) that he wore through the workout. But I said, go ahead and take 15, 20 minutes, whatever you need to get warmed up and get ready to go. 
the thing that stuck out to us the most, it was the first time I ever went to a private workout on a quarterback when he said, when we got out of the car, hey, all my receivers are here. We're ready to go. So they've been there 45 minutes before we were even scheduled mm. to show up. We got out of the car and went right away, went into the drills. Teddy was taking command of the whole workout. Now, Norv Turner and Scott Turner and them wanted to see this throw, that throw. But for the most part, there was no question that Teddy Bridgewater was in charge and took charge of that workout. So we knew being around him both at that dinner, at his pro day where he didn't play or didn't have a great pro day, and then what he did down in that private workout and how he organized everything, we knew that he was the right leader for our football team. So um, that's when we got into the draft. Uh, he was sliding down. I believe a lot of a lot of it had to do with the hand side, just like we talked about Kenny Pickett last yeah. year. Can they play quarterback if you have under a nine-inch hand? And that was the question on Teddy as well when he came out. Can it, you know? I don't know why it's such a big deal whether you throw with gloves on or throw with gloves off, uh, because if that makes you a better quarterback, then wear your damn gloves, as <laughs> right. Pete would say. Right. So <laughs> but, uh, let, let me ask you this quickly, though. So he didn't have the good pro day workout, and it sounds like you were more concerned than happy at that point because fewer teams might be interested in him. Is that, is that right? Yeah. No, we were very happy about a really crappy pro day, oh, okay. to be honest with you. Okay, because so, you like you liked him plenty before that happened. Yeah, no, and it's like I said, I had the opportunity to see him play live two or three times, and every time I went to see him play live, he put on a show, and there was never really a game where it wasn't wow, this guy has something special to him, just besides his physical ability and some of the traits that you look for in a quarterback. He was first in the building. He was always studying tape. A uh, very quiet leader, mm -hmm. but somehow when he walked into that locker room uh, after we drafted him, everybody just kind of gravitated to him. And he, you know, uh, Matt Castle, I believe, got hurt in the New Orleans game his rookie year. That's right. He went out in there and took over, struggled a little bit, but played. Wow, we may have something here uh, finishing out the season. The second year, uh, we thought he played extremely well, not to where his potential was going to be. But you can see, especially in big games, there was no question that Teddy was going to come through. Now, he may be average in the second quarter, but if there was a game on the line in the fourth quarter, there was no question that you want Teddy Bridgewater to have the ball in his hands. And he proved that in the second year. Now, we end up, I believe, Ryan, when you looked it up, we end up losing to Seattle, I think, when Blair Walsh missed the 27-yard uh, oh Bring that up in, in, in uh, minus 17 degree weather, <laughs> but Teddy took us down there and got us in a position at the end of the game uh, to 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 uh, put us in position to win that game in a playoff game. The following year, we thought for sure, okay, this is year three. The way he's progressing, what you want to see in these quarterbacks, and you see these quarterbacks hit their stride in year three. A la Josh Allen, uh, you know, talk yeah. about Tua, talk about Jalen Hurts. All these guys seem to keep building up, and then year three is the year for these quarterbacks, and that's when the devastating, uh, I mean devastating knee injury happened eight days before the uh, the opener. Yeah, that was non-contact too, right? Yeah, just, no, just it was just him pivoting around on a play-action pass, normal routine play, 
No one touched him, and when he pivoted, his knee snapped. Let me let me go back to draft night 2014. And was there any conversation because you took Anthony Barr ninth overall? Was there any conversation of taking Teddy that high? He would have been number two after Blake Bortles in terms of the quarterbacks. No, uh, I think Coach Zimmer had just uh, came on board, so we wanted to sure up some of the defensive. Apparently, side of the he ball. likes defensive stuff. He likes defensive stuff, and <laughs> Anthony Barr was a unique because of his size. Yeah, uh, because of his athleticism. Uh, so we were going to take Anthony Barr first. Um, we also knew that we wanted to try to find a franchise quarterback, and that's why we got, uh, I don't want to say aggressive, but wanted to make sure we got that fifth-year option on Teddy because that how, that's how much we believed in Teddy. And you told me earlier you didn't feel like 108, the fourth-round pick, was a, a, a very much to give up in order to get the guy that you really wanted, right? No, especially when you can get that fifth-year option, and especially right. when you get a fifth-year option on a quarterback. And let me ask you this. Um, you can speak in as many specifics or generalities as you as you choose. How did you rate the uh, Blake Bortles and Johnny Manziel going before in terms of where you had them, and then Derek Carr and Jimmy G afterwards in terms of where you had them uh, as the quarterbacks in that draft class? No, we 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 did a, a ton of evaluation. We actually met with them all individually. You know, there was a lot of comparisons on Blake Bortles. Uh, you know, uh, I can't remember the comparison. Uh, we talking about uh, Drew Bledsoe. Big Ben, who, Big ben was Big the ben guy that Roethlisberger, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you talked about Johnny Manziel, who was a total wild card, um, <laughs> but he was exciting to watch, and he was fun to watch watching him on college tape. Uh, Derek Carr and, and Jimmy Garoppolo is coming from a small school, so um, we had we really really liked Teddy, and I knew that Blake and probably Johnny Manziel were going to go before Teddy, just because of all the pre-draft process and Teddy falling a little bit because of concerns about the hand size and the concerns about his pro day. Um, but we really felt that Teddy Bridgewater may not have been as physically gifted as some of those guys, but that's not always the key to a quarterback having success in the NFL. And I've learned that the hard way on some of the misses I had. Yeah, It's the intangible part of it that makes a difference in these guys. Yeah, and it, it's it's not a stretch to think that had Teddy not suffered that just freak knee injury, he would be in the same conversation in terms of still starting as the Derek Cars, who's obviously his career is going to take a turn for us, and Jimmy G, who got benched um, in the offseason before he was forced back into the field because of injury to, to the 49ers rookie, Trey Lance. So this feels like the right pick in the first round for sure because Blake Bortles, uh, he had that one flash in 2017 where he helped uh, the Jaguars get deep into the playoffs, and then Johnny Manziel did work out for a number of reasons. And, and Teddy B feels like another home run for the old Rick's Picks segment here. Yeah, and it's unfortunate he got hurt because who knows where Teddy Bridgewater would be right now in his career. And we felt very strongly that when we did draft Teddy and saw his progression from year one to year two heading into year three and how he played in the preseason in year three, we knew that uh, we felt very strongly that we had our franchise quarterback and just the uh, unfortunate incident with him uh, in the, in the, in the knee injury that he, and to just to tell you, most guys may not have been able to come back from that knee injury because it was more than just an ACL. Um, but for Teddy to still be playing in this league tells you the grit and determination he has to prove people wrong. And not only that, he very well may be starting the playoff game in a few days. Like he, he may be the guy for the Dolphins. Should he get healthy? And if two is not yet ready to go. So that's another fun storyline to watch because 
I mean, they're playing the Bills. That's going to be a tough ask, no doubt about it. But we know that Teddy can play in cold weather. So just as long as there's no last-second field goals, you know, anything can happen, Rick. Um, Yeah. All right. I didn't want to bring that up again. (laughs) Well, yeah, Jack, the producer here, and Pete bring it up every Sunday. I don't know how many times they replay that in my ear during a game, especially when a kicker – when Pete says, make your damn kicks, and then oh, we see kickers missing all the time. Hey, do you remember Blair Walsh missing that kick? <laughs> that sounds like something. No, I, can't, I, I, no I don't remember. What are you talking about? Uh, well, that's it. That's another successful Rick's Pick segment, uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Um, I loved learning out the, the backstory of how Teddy B ended up in Minnesota, and good luck to Teddy should he happen to start this weekend for the Dolphins. We'll be back next week. Uh, to talk about the national title game and more draft-related stuff, especially with the Senior Bowl on the horizon. Rick and I will be in Mobile, Alabama, doing podcasts from there, no doubt. So that's a wrap. That's a wrap on Episode 6. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast. You can leave a five-star review, especially if you want uh, to get a question in for uh, an upcoming mailbag episode. Give us a like on YouTube. And if you enjoy it, tell a friend. If you don't enjoy it, tell someone you hate. Just tell somebody. That's it. We'll talk to you guys next week. Hey, everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also, just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the Men's Sunday Performance Jogger, And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.